Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to it. This is the Apex Predator podcast, our second episode, can you believe it or not? Across from me sits one Joe Whittaker. Joe Whittaker, in a moment though, I have to share with you, since the 2010s, they, we've seen a upturn in a new sort of culture breeding in regaining back a sense of self-confidence, regaining a sense of trying to find our own identity as in life as men. Films like that of uh, Pain and Gain, certainly of 2013, has seen the fitness culture seen in a sort of reconnaissance revival. Yet there now seems to be a con uh, sort of a concussion or rather a, a conflict of sorts is a better word with regards to the decline of testosterone. Hence where Joe comes in. Joe is an expert on the field of nutrition and we're going to be talking about a myriad of subjects on this genre, namely the decline in men's fertility and testosterone levels over the 20th century, the causes of the decline, along with functional versus traditional medicine and a couple of other subjects alike. Joe, welcome mate. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure, um, and it's also a pleasure to be on the second ever um, um, episode of your show. Um, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't have asked for a better expert. Now tell me, Joe, how is it that you got involved with fitness and nutrition in the first place? And take us from where you started up until where you realized there's this big problem with the decline of testosterone in the, the 20th century, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, uh, well, it's quite a long story. Um, I've, I've been interested, you know, like most people, firstly, they're interested just as an enthusiast and a hobbyist. So that's like over a decade now. Um, but then, then I decided to formally train as a nutritionist. So I did my master's degree and now I'm doing a PhD. And um, I uh, also run a clinic as well. Um, so that's right, like right. the last last five years um, and it was it was during the master's degree um, it was actually my uh, thesis for the master's degree that I started looking into uh, testosterone and um, and then also the effects of diet on testosterone is interestingly with my master's course and certainly in the UK nutrition is like predominantly female um, a female dominated profession like it, in my cohort, there's about 30 people on the course, uh, and there was just me and one other guy, and the other guy wasn't even doing the same course. It was just like a, he just did a couple of modules here and there. Right. Um, so at least in practice, men's health is not looked at as much, although not in terms all. of scientific literature, it's almost the reverse. Um, well, somewhat the reverse. I mean, there's, there's plenty of literature on both. Um mm. Yeah, so that's pretty much where we're interested in it. And then um, in terms of that actual master's thesis, that paper, just feel free to butt in uh, at any time. But that, um, that paper looked at, the context of that paper was there's several studies, there's about 12 or something now, um, mm -hmm. that show there's this generalized decline, certainly in industrial westernized countries. Like, and what do you think is the causes of that decline, Joe? Uh, well, the, probably the leading theory is um, our exposure to what's called endocrine disrupting chemicals, and there is chemicals that disrupt the endocrine system, the endocrine system being the one that deals with hormones. And so they come, a lot of them come from like plastics, air pollution, 
um, heavy metals from industry that make their way into the food chain. Um, mm. And then our, our increased exposure over um, over the 20th century, especially post-World War II, um, they're very well studied in animals in terms of having adverse effects on fertility. Um, like they could, they can like overtly make you infertile. Um, but obviously, the studies on humans are harder to do because you can't just give megadose of these toxins. Um, but there's no, there's no reason to believe that um, the effects in animal studies wouldn't carry over uh, to humans. And you you can you know do like correlations and of course, for instance. See, see see the the pre-existing levels in people, and then see if those are more likely to have reproductive problems. Mm. So that's um, that that's the number one leading um, theory. Um, my work, especially the last research projects I did, was on um, the effect of diet and how the change in diet over the twentieth century. Um, how that has also like impacted um, testosterone levels, um, but also it's not just testosterone levels. Sperm counts is often the one that, that is the um, there's talked about more just because there's more data on it. Um, yeah, it's quite shocking the the uh, sperm counts. Um, no, it is absolutely, and I would like to add to that, inactivity is also a little bit uh, of a big, big problem. I say a little bit of a big, big problem because we've got kids nowadays who would rather lay on the couch and sit on their phones, and more often than not, it's used as a sort of a, a pacifier for, you know, mom and dad who are, might be busy throughout the day, but it has a lasting negative effect. You with me so far? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um I think, yeah, you touched on something important there. Um, it's not, if you take like um, how we live today compared to uh, like 1850 or something, it's it's like dramatically shifted. And so there's, there's also like we talked about the increased exposure to toxins. You said the physical inactivity, um, the, uh, the diet change, the, Increase in like psychological stress. Um, what's the other big one? Sleep. Like people have disrupted sleep cycles. Um, like for instance, art, you know, as great as artificial light is, you know, it enables us to stay up late. And especially with like the rise up with the internet, there's kind of like endless entertainment for you to stay up late. You know, even like 1900, you could stay up late and turn the light on, but all you could do is read a book. Mm. Whereas now, you know, you've got 24-7 entertainment. So it's like the way I kind of view the kind of decline in testosterone levels and fertility um, is the kind of the further we get away from our kind of evolutionary origins and the lifestyle that our bodies evolved for, um, the more more adverse effects you get. And the... um, they call it. It's called evolutionary mismatch theory. Is the look uh, thank you the academic term evolutionary mismatch theory, and this is a perfect segue to something else I would like to add. And you can shoehorn in as much as you like, but I think there's an under or uh, sorry for the swallowing of the word. There's a misunderstanding of to what actually testosterone is. It's not just a male hormone; it's a work hormone, and it's crucial that we use testosterone 
in equal balances in our work life as much as we do in our personal life. Am I wrong in that summation? If I am, help me write. No, I, I think that's accurate. Um, but testosterone is responsible for the masculine characteristics. So um, as, you, as you grow and develop from a fetus to a, a child, to an adolescent, to an adult, you um, testosterone is responsible for creating the like masculine characteristics like deep voice, facial hair, things like that. Mm. Um, but what's really interesting is it's also it also has a masculizing effect on the brain and even even as back far as space basically like the fetus mm. um, the exposure the male fetus has to testosterone certain parts of the brain grow more than others and it gives this kind of the term is sexual dimorphic like this mm. so like if you take a male brain and a female brain there's distinct differences there and you know they both have their strengths their weaknesses so on and so forth um, but without testosterone, testosterone is like responsible for that. Mm, yeah. um, it's, I mean, the other reason it's often looked at a lot, um, it correlates with other health parameters. So if you have low testosterone, you're more at risk for obesity, diabetes, Alzheimer's, you know, all, all these chronic diseases. Um, but actually, uh, getting back to your point, Chris, there is, it's under-recognized that, um, it has a lot of links with mental health. Like ah. if you have low testosterone, you're like um, you're more likely to, to be depressed. And when you give depressed people with low testosterone, when you give them testosterone, their mood elevates. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. C carry on, carry on. Um, yeah, I think it's um, also it has the classic link with like aggression. Um, oh that you need a but it doesn't have to be like aggression in a negative sense it can be like um it can be like kind of makes you more competitive um which is always that, a good thing yeah of course yeah i mean look, look at all the sports then i mean soccer it's it's a natural instinct emotion the moment that the players trot out on the field. From a spectator's point of view, let's let's leave that up open to persuasion. But I am so glad that you mentioned it because in our society, there's been a very negative connotation to you need to be kind exclusively. Fine, that's, that is an opinion. But at the end of the day, when it comes to high performance, you need aggression. You need aggression in order to be competitive and to ultimately commit to the see-through, which is why I'd like to think nowadays we are entering a phase now where we are growing back into that competitive edge where it's not necessarily, excuse me, seen as a negative, but rather as an advantage in order to outperform, uh, in order to outshine on a natural term, dependent on the individual. You're with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the... As you like, kind of look at the decline in testosterone, and then, as you're saying, in the last 10, 15 years, there's a increased focus on masculinity. I think because testosterone levels are declining, there's like almost an increased need for men now to actively kind of cultivate masculinity. Uh -huh, Whereas yeah, you can almost say, yeah, 
because they're almost kind of like deficient somewhat. Very, very. And there's nothing which hurts me more than seeing a man who comes from a lineage of warriors. I mean, you're from the UK. Uh, My heritage is also just happened to be Irish. We come from a lineage of warriors who fought for the values that we're holding here. But now we're settling for second best. What the fuck is going on here? Uh, I don't know. Well, there's loads, there's loads of possible reasons. I mean, I was going to get a bit politically incorrect here. Um, I think one of the reasons is that decline in testosterone. Um, like, for instance, there's there's studies that show men with higher testosterone generally have more right-wing beliefs and men with lower testosterone generally have more left-wing beliefs. Um so you can see it's kind of effect in shaping, right. shaping sure. uh, now, what tell people me, think. You are involved in nutrition. How does your practice, do you have clients who come up to you and say, listen, I need a meal plan in order to bulk up more. I need a plan to, in order to excel in my sport type, like a professional athlete. athlete. How does your practice work as a whole? Yeah, Um I get a lot of uh, yeah guys coming for athletic performance. Um, I get all sort all sorts of types. It's quite rare that I actually get someone specifically for like testosterone. Athletic performance in general, um, that's more common. Uh, but since I've over the like the last few months, like I've scaled it back a bit so I can mm. focus on the research because uh, I'm probably like two thirds of the way through my PhD, so. Kind of itching to get it finished. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a lot you can do with nutrition to, to kind of boost your testosterone. Um, like, what one is like making sure you're hitting all the, you're getting all your vitamins and minerals, the micronutrients, um, mm-hmm. which which is like most people think, oh yeah, you know, I eat a balanced diet, I, I'm probably getting them all. Um, chances are they're not. There's probably like a quarter that they're, they'll be deficient in. So you can like address things like that. Like, for instance, magnesium. Most people are deficient in magnesium. Zinc is often deficient, like vitamin D, vitamin A. So there's loads you can work on. Um, testosterone has like a complex relationship with athletic performance because. If you have low testosterone, then definitely your athletic performance will suffer, like guaranteed. Mm. And if you if you take steroids um, that boost your testosterone, you know, like super, super physiological, um, right, you'll have a, right. a big increase in performance. But within the actual normal range, it's there's no consensus whether if you're at the top end of the normal range or the low end of the normal range, if that boosts athletic performance, um, probably it does because it makes sense. Mm. There's just like a lack of um, this is like a lack of data there to say with certainty. Right, right. Well, I have to tell you as well what I think is uplifting about nutrition. If you have a specialized plan to work out for you, ultimately the end goal is to promote endorphins, which is a chronicle component of athletic performance. But now, what is its ugly cousin? It's dopamine, which you get from instant gratification. But through delayed gratification, at least, you're building your 
your endorphins, which ultimately make your muscles a lot more denser. It strengthens the immune system, and you also build uh, those vital vitamin components that you need for your system. I mean, let's not forget magnesium is used to help babies grow in the womb, especially when it comes in the last uh, mid-phase of a woman's pregnancy, especially if that child might have an underdeveloped immune system, which they might trace in the uh, second to third term of pregnancy, at least the mothers can get a healthy dose of magnesium in order to boost that baby's uh, immune system growth. And ultimately, when it comes to the birth, you've got a healthier child. And yeah. I want to ask you with regards to something here which you made a note of. Tell me the difference between functional versus traditional medicines. All right. Um yeah, that's interesting. Um, so traditional medicine is the medicine you get when you just go to the standard doctor. Um, functional medicine, it's kind of like incur a lot of jargon, but it's like it's more like a holistic view and you take a systems approach. So you look at all the systems and how they interlink together um, and not just pay lip service to it, really like look at how the hormones, you know, affect the gut and the gut affects the the mind and so on and so forth. Um, and you take, and you try to get to the root cause of the problem. So like for instance, uh, traditional medicine, if you have high cholesterol, they just give you a statin, but you're not, you don't have a deficiency in statins. It's like an art, it's, it's great. It's an artificial way of kind of fixing the problem. It's like a bandaid. Whereas a functional medicine perspective is you, you say, okay, so this person has high cholesterol. So what is actually causing the high cholesterol? Uh, and address it like thoroughly, not just say, oh, just do diet and lifestyle. Uh, just eat some more vegetables, like, you know, prescribe specific, you know, exercises or specific supplements or say increase these foods, decrease these foods, so on and so forth. And they both have their strengths and weaknesses, those models. But the traditional medicine Initially, like in the 1900s um, or the early part of the 20th century, their traditional medicine had great successes in terms of like antibiotics and vaccines, um, which you know saved millions of lives. And those are, in in a kind of medical sense, in some sense, they're quite simplistic problems because there's just one cause. You know, there's there's just one bacteria, and that causes that causes the disease and they say you just take one thing or get one vaccine and that hits that one thing so it's like an x and y Mm. whereas now people don't die of like polio and whooping cough and all of these things covid being like a recent exception um lately yeah yeah um uh, people now live longer um they don't die of all these infectious diseases and the diseases they are dying from are like chronic diseases like cancer, heart disease, right. diabetes. And these diseases are not just like an XY problem. They take decades, you know, lingering on the surface until they eventually boil over into the pathology. Mm. And there's no there's no like one cause, or at least I don't think there's no one cause of cancer. There's no one cause of heart Correct. disease. There's, there's many different causes. Absolutely. And Absolutely. you need a model that addresses that complexity and it's almost like, I almost view it as almost like a fool's hope, thinking there'll be one drug 
one miracle compound that will fix each of these diseases. There has um, been a lot of people who have said they wish they could have that one drug. I mean, in 2011, think of the film Limitless, which explored mm -hmm. a drug which enables you to allow to use 100% capacity of your brain. David Goggins recently, who I've spoken on a couple of times, released a book called um, The Can't Hurt Me Mentality, which states that we only use 40% capacity of our mind. So we are moving in that direction. I would love to see, you know, a vitamin come forth, which will help promote, you know, the ability to use an even bigger probability of one's brain and uh, the probability of fighting a more vicious disease versus the more traditional means. But sometimes we tend to overlook that. I mean, I'll give you an example. If you take a tomato and you cut it in half, you take that half of the tomato, what does it look like? The inside of a heart. And what is a tomato good for? It's good for your heart. Take a carrot, chop the front end off, look on the inside of a carrot. It presents the iris of the eyes. And carrots are good for the eyes. So I, I'd like to think that the answer is underneath our nose. We're just still trying to suss it all together so that one and one can give us two. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I mean, these diseases, like, they're, they're not simple problems as well um, mm. with simple solutions. Um, so, yeah. Like, there is a lot. One of the problems is that functional medicine style of approach. And it has loads of different names, like integrative medicine, ecological medicine. They all roughly mean the same thing. Um, is lack of funding, because of course, for the for drug research, it's easy to get funding because there's a financial interest um, with pharmaceutical companies. Not not that I'm saying that that's wrong. That's just the way it goes. Right. Um, whereas to get like a large dietary study funded, then you're just relying on like charities or government NPOs. Uh, yeah, and uh, it can be harder to convince someone, like, really, do you think diet will do this? You know, yeah. it can be quite sceptical. It is, it is sad, but there's a side of me that says, why not invest the money? Because ultimately, you're going to get your return in, on investment in full, and you're not handing that money over to a bunch of scientific wannabes who are going to do a runner with the money. They're actually going to fund it into programs that can help people uh, come up with a viable alternative. I mean, we've also seen this conflict with regards to traditional medicine versus holistic medicine. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the, one of the most underrated means of treating a cough, for example, is simple, simply honey and milk. Or if you're struggling to sleep, honey and cinnamon with more milk, for example. Yeah, those traditional kind of age-old remedies mm -hmm. I'm referring to. Yeah, no, there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, and like a lot of the herbal treatments come from traditional herbal medicines like St. John's Wort and stuff for depression. Uh, even like the actual medicines like aspirin is, I think, derived from oak bark or something like that. And that was traditionally used as a painkiller. Mm. A, lot, a lot of the actual medicines are, um, you know, come from from natural compounds. Um yeah, I was going to say something interesting, I've forgotten. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, at least I'm happy I it up. Well, with your studies having gotten your master's and um, moving on to your PhD, ultimately investigating the origin and then plus also the decline and 
ultimately the reawakening of testosterone. Tell me what are some one or two diet and lifestyle strategies which can improve this factor into a positive? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, if you testosterone, like the number one thing would be weight loss. So if you're overweight, lose weight, um, there's loads of ways you can do it. I prefer like low carb diets that generally work very well um, and reducing processed food intake uh, also works very well. Then out, if you don't need to lose weight, make sure you're eating enough because if you're not eating enough, that will tank your testosterone because it, it basically like sends your body into like a hibernation mode and your your body doesn't want to reproduce in that mode. So it's not going to elevate like a, a reproductive hormone like testosterone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then outside of that, the micronutrients. So, you know, like try to do an analysis and see like all of the levels. Well, I mean, if you were a, a, a simpler tip, we would take the multivitamin. So right. get the weight mm-hmm. sorted, take a multivitamin. Then the other two, I'd say um, exercise on a regular basis. Um, resistance would be preferable. And, oh, I love uh, resistance. I love <laughs> those kinds of exercises. Really, I do. It, it it challenges the system. It challenges the system and makes you go bananas on those weights. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, my, it's my favorite type of exercise. Um, I think it's the most pleasurable type. Jogging oh, yeah. is, is like, <laughs> I don't know what the word is. It's like, um, it's painful. I say jogging. <laughs> <laughs> you often see joggers and they're like, you know, they don't look. Um, no, I, I agree with you, but it's also a form of resistance because I incorporate it into my workout routine. Um, I live here in the mountains. So, you know, going up and down in this format, up, down, up, down, up, down, proves <laughs> quite a resistance. But at the end of the day, what I love about both uh, exercise groups, you know, it's cardio versus weights. I get the best out of both benefits and my mood is elevated and you can see the hard work play out on your body in so many positive ways. But ultimately, the crux is to get people to do it. It's not an image thing. It's for your own good. Yeah, I think personally what motivates me is probably most the endorphin high. Because if you exercise every day, you just feel a lot better. Mm. Um, and then when you're used to feeling better and you stop exercising, you're like, wow, this, this sucks. Like, I don't, I don't want to feel like this. Um, <laughs> and you do need like to, to maximize exercise, you want to hit the resistance and, um, aerobic, you know, cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cause they, they, they have tangible benefits, um, to both of them. But like you were saying, like a lot of people do interval or interval style training, you know, where you're doing the hills, undulating the intensity, um, which is good because you can get you can get the benefits of cardio in like shorter amount of time than if you were just running at a steady space, a, a steady pace. Sorry, steady um, pace. Yeah. Joe, I really want to thank you for your time. You've been an absolutely wonderful guest. Listen, between you and I. All the best with regards to your PhD and may you continue on with velocity in your this combat that you have been waging. I'm standing behind you in fullest sense and I can't wait to see the positive that comes out of this, mate. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Chris. It's a, it's a pleasure being on.
That was Joe Whittaker, who runs a nutrition coaching program. And this has been the Apex Predator. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you're more than welcome to get on, uh, on my Instagram. My handle is at Chris Nell Media. And Joe, that reminds me, do you happen to have a website or social media where people can reach you? Uh, then that's my website, uh, joewhittakernutrition.com. Uh, and if you want to book consultations, all, all the information is there. Great stuff. Thanks, Joe. Remember the one saying that you'll have to say every time to yourself that you tune into this program, you're an unbreakable mind, an unstoppable force, an untamed spirit, in so doing, an army of one. That is the crux of the apex predator. Look after yourself, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. 